Um, you know, like Jose had mentioned, this time of year is full of new beginnings. For me, um, most of those new beginnings are centered around my son right now as a dad. My uh, son, Parker, is doing some things that I have not navigated through before. Here's one. Today, he tells me that mom told him he could ride his bike. I didn't hear her say that. He is, is working it. He just knows how to work it, and I'm not even prepared at all, at all. Another thing that happened here recently was, um, this is something I've never navigated before either. Parker, we were at a wedding, and my son wanted to dance. And so he's out in the middle of the dance floor, dancing in the center of the circle, getting down like no white boy can do. (laughs) And I heard somebody behind me, whose kid is that? And they said, it's the reverends. (laughs) I'd officiated the wedding and it was hilarious. Again, I don't know how to navigate this. Reverend? Yeah, anyhow. But hey, this season is, is filled with all kinds of new beginnings for you. And maybe you're starting college. Maybe you're starting to pay for college. Uh, maybe you also are a mom and you're looking forward to having your days back because your kids are going to school. But this season is filled with a ton of new beginnings. As I thought about this season, I, I thought of uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. It says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In every season, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. In every season, they are new every morning. In every season, great is his faithfulness. For those of you who love Jesus, my hope is that you would stay the course in this new season. That you remember God's steadfast love as you live through God, for God, and with God. My prayer is that you would experience life in Jesus in greater, greater ways this season. For those of you who don't know Jesus, as Jose said here just a little while ago, My prayer is that you would meet him tonight, that you would say yes to him today, that you would follow the Jesus who brings freedom, real freedom. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what things you bring with you tonight, Jesus can give you life. He can give you real freedom. This is the final week of our study in called Passages, and I'm going to be in John chapter 8 tonight. So if you have your Bibles or your techie gear, please turn with me there to chapter 8. And we're going to be hanging out in verse 31 this evening. Before we get there, though, I think it's important for us to look at a little bit of background and and see what God is doing, Jesus is doing, what what things are happening in the midst of of Jesus in this time and, and, and all that's going on. And a couple things that I want to take note of is, the first one is this, there's an adulterous woman who the Pharisees bring to the temple and Jesus intervenes and literally saves her life. We also see that uh, in the next few verses that Jesus stays at the temple and he is in the middle of a bunch of different conversations that he's having with groups of people there. And this is where we find ourselves in verse 31. It says this. 
To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. In these conversations that Jesus is having at the temple, John states that some of the Jews that are there who are listening and talking with Jesus, some of those Jews believed what Jesus was telling them. Jesus, uh, we would see in before verse 31, that Jesus is actually persuading some people to follow him and, and love him and know him as Savior and Lord. And they're hearing this and they're believing it. To those who believe, Jesus says this. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? See, some of Jesus' audience is confused by this statement. They are all listening, but not all of them believe. There's two camps that are listening. One is those who are believing Jesus, and there's those that aren't believing Jesus. At this point, Jesus turns his attention to the audience that is not believing what he is saying. They say this, Hey, Jesus, we have never been enslaved by anyone or anything. This actually is quite an ironic statement because Israel, if you look at Old Testament history, you would know that Israel has been enslaved several different times by several different countries. And so this idea of them not being enslaved is is really quite odd. We also see that at this time when Jesus is talking with them, they are actually under the thumb of Rome. And so this statement is kind of odd. Let's see how Jesus responds. Verse 34, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me. Because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your Father. In these verses, Jesus reveals what they are enslaved to. For that matter, what we're all enslaved to, sin. Jesus reveals a problem. Along with revealing the problem, though, Jesus gives a fix. So, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's keep reading. Verse 39. They say in response to Jesus, Abraham is our father. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. See, after Jesus exposes the problem of sin, the Jews continue to argue that they have no problem. Their father is Abraham. To be Jewish is to have Abraham as your father. Yahweh revealed himself to Abram. He gave Abraham the promise of descendants and land. God made a covenant, an agreement to be with Abraham and his children. Jesus states that 
if you really are Abraham's children, then you would do as Abraham did. He had belief in me. Abraham's attitude toward God was one of belief, which is the opposite of how the Jews are responding to Jesus at this moment. Look at verse 41. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. And the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Doesn't appear like Jesus is changing their view of how they see themselves. They still continue to see themselves as okay. We're good with God. The Jews had the means of forgiveness. They had the Torah. They knew what to do and not to do. And the temple, when you sin, you repent and offer the right sacrifice. See, the issue here is what they were putting their confidence in. These people trusted their heritage and traditions rather than Jesus. What Jesus is saying is he's the one greater than Abraham who was given the promise. He's the one greater than Moses, who was given the Torah. He's the one greater than the prophets that God spoke through. Jesus says that he can do something that no one else can do. Now, what Jesus says shouldn't be new to them. God's plan to set people free began long before Abraham. Notice in verse 44 when it says, the phrase, from the beginning. See, if we were to look in Genesis, we would find that God made everything good. All that was created was perfect and in complete harmony with God. The Hebrew word for this is shalom. A guy by the name of Cornelius Plantinga uh, describes shalom this way. The webbing together of God, humans and all creation in justice, fulfillment, And delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Shalom was creation's state before sin entered the world. Sin shattered and broke the relationship between humanity and God. And Tim Keller actually describes it this way. Human beings are so integral to the fabric of things that when human beings turned from God, the entire warp and woof of the world unraveled. We've lost God's shalom physically, spiritually, socially, psychologically, and culturally. Things now 
fall apart. What Jesus is trying to explain to these people is that their spiritual state has less to do with which family they are a part of or born into and more to do with their object of faith. This is why Jesus says in verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Could Jesus be any more clear? Let's see what happens next. Here in verse 48, the Jews answer Jesus and say this to him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this, they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will, will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? What happens here is the Jews move from unbelief to insult. They just go deeper into this thing. They call Jesus two things. One, Samaritan. This is the bottom of the barrel person culturally. In this culture, if you call a Jew a Samaritan, that is a deep, deep, deep insult. We also see that they they say, hey, you are demon-possessed. So they are saying, Jesus, you're on the wrong team. You're not on God's team. And so these two things have really moved them from unbelief to insult. Let's wrap up by looking at verses 54 through 59. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I've said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, catch this, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away, from the temple grounds. What I find interesting is I've talked with people before and they say, you know, Jesus never called himself God. You know that, right? And I stop for a minute. What? Because this can be so far from the truth. Jesus says he's God and he doesn't say it any more clearly than he did just then, friends. Jesus once again reminds them that the text They claim to know and live out. Jesus doesn't have to debate. He uses a text in the scripture that they know. And he says this. He takes them to what God has already said. Abraham, again, rejoiced that he would see my day, and he did. Obviously, the Jews have not yet learned you don't ask questions to Jesus. You don't. You don't question him. But he responds and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Two things happen in this I am statement. The first one is this. Jesus claims to have existed 
before Abraham. Notice that Jesus says, I am rather than I was. I am speaks to Jesus always existing. He has no beginning. He has no end. And these characteristics are only held by God. Second thing that happens with I am is this. It also references a story of Moses meeting God on Mount Sinai. Moses goes up, get a message from God. God says to Moses, I am who I am. And then, G- and then Moses goes and tells all of Israel that I am sent him. Jesus is very clear. What he just told the Jews was that he is God. If you don't think he ever called himself God, there's the proof. If that's not enough for you, look at verse 59. 59 says, they picked up stones to throw at him. Why'd they do that? Is it just because he's a good guy? Is it because he's a good teacher? Is it because they're jealous of his carpentry skills? Why? They picked up stones and they wanted to kill him because he claimed he was God. Okay, so Jesus claims he's the I am. He was before Abraham. He claims to be the God who has come in human flesh. So what? Well, in the world we live in, there are so many roads, so many faiths, so many ways to connect to God. See, just look at where we live with Nike, Intel. They're bringing people all over the world here to work for them. This, this is, place is Asia. This place is Africa. This place, there's so many people represented here. So many people with different ideas on how to get to God. And then we get texts like this. God has come in the man named Jesus to fulfill his ancient promise, to bring us lasting freedom, much like the Jews. All of us have to do something with Jesus. As we just saw, the Jews' object of faith wasn't Jesus. This morning, I'm not uh, concerned with what they believe. I'm concerned with what you believe. It's evening, isn't it? It's not morning anymore, is it? Yeah. I'm really not concerned with what they believe. I'm concerned with what, what we believe this evening. Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Friends, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the narrow gate. This truth some did not receive. They didn't accept Jesus for who he was. Do you? Do you accept Jesus for who he was? I'd like to bring our text full circle here and go back actually to where we started in verse 31. Verse 31 says this, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Are you really free? I want to start by talking to the Christian. I don't know what your journey with God has been like. Mine, I was very fortunate to grow up in a Christian home where Jesus was talked about, 
And I, I mean, I'm a PK. My, dad's a, my dad was a former pastor. And so I'm very fortunate to, to grow up in a home like that. Jesus saved me, though. And my testimony is awesome. Why? Because, again, Jesus saved me. For you guys who have said before, this is kind of a side note, but if you said before that you don't have a good testimony, that's crazy. We all have good testimonies. You know why? Because Jesus saved us. Saved us from destruction. We all have great stories to rejoice to. Just because you didn't, you weren't in some biker gang and had a million tattoos and went to jail because you killed somebody, like, if that's not your story, that's okay. Jesus saved that person, and Jesus has saved you. We all have great testimonies. My testimony, though, is I gave my life to Jesus when I was younger. Since that point, God's been growing me. He's been shaping me. He's been growing me in freedom. And one day, I will totally be free. But I'm telling you, in this time right now, Christian, I'm saying to you tonight, are you free? Will you grow in freedom? I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what God is asking you to hold on to, to obey him in tonight. For me, one of the parts in my story is when I was growing in freedom, Jesus took me and pointed out to me that I loved basketball, that I loved playing hoop, that at times I loved it more than him. And in his grace, Jesus, Jesus sat my backside on the bench in college and I cried out to him going, what's the deal? What is going on? This is not what I signed up for. And Jesus, in his grace, met me and said, Kenny, I'm trying to get the word out to you. You're going to be done one day. Your knees are not going to work anymore, Kenny. Basketball is not forever. Basketball will not fill you. You will lose if you put your hope in this. Kenny, I love you. Kenny, grow in freedom. I'm so thankful for that day. Even though, man, it just ripped at me. It's hard. But I'm so thankful for that day because I've seen my buddies who put their hope in basketball, put their hope in who put their hope in temporal things, and they've lost. And so I'm thankful that Jesus saw me and gave me grace and helped me grow in freedom. Are you free, Christian? What do you need to grow in this evening? For you who don't know Jesus, you, you don't love Jesus, you're maybe just checking Jesus out tonight. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for being here. It's rad to have you. I'm stoked you're here. I just want to ask you, though, are you free? According to the scriptures, you're not. Sin has its hold on you. But there's great news, and that great news is Jesus is the Son of God who sets you free, and you will be free indeed if you put your faith in Him. He is faithful to forgive so that you might be part of God's family. Are you really free?
Remember a few moments ago, we, we talked about the beginning of God making everything perfect. And all of creation was in perfect communion with God. We said that this harmony is called shalom. That shalom is what you are searching for if you don't know Jesus. And Jesus can give you that freedom tonight. And you can enter into that journey of being his, part of his family, being part of God's family. Jesus is the road less traveled. And will you take this road? Jesus is the narrow gate. Will you trust in him? Some of you, though, may say no tonight. You may say, Kenny, I know better and I know better than God. And, and you'll, repeat, you'll repeat what happens in Genesis, early part of Genesis. And Adam and Eve thought they knew better. And you will continue to put your trust in temporal things and not experience freedom. You'll lose. So my, my second question is, are you holding on to Jesus' teaching? See, when you trust Jesus, he says you are a sinner. And this sin has separated you from God. And the only way to make it right is by trusting Jesus and his death and his resurrection. It is through only his work on the cross that you and I can call God friend. See, the second part deals with obedience. Once you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, your position with God changes. God sees you no longer as a rebel, but one of his own. Now, as one of his own, he calls you to follow him, to live in obedience. Again, Christian, what does that look like for you? I don't know what God's saying to you exactly. I don't know if it's spend more time with me. I don't know if it's make disciples, share with those that you have influence with about me. I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's love your enemies. I don't, I don't know if it's grow your children up in knowing me. I don't know what God's speaking or pushing on you in his grace to do. Will you hold on to his teaching? What will you do with Jesus today? This is my last question. What will you do with Jesus today?